Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello, imaginative people. I am Anna Tizard, and this is episode 26 of Brainstorium. I hope I can inspire you today and provide a little entertainment as well with some new story brainstorms. But before that, there's good news and there's bad news. The bad news is the new Alice in Wonderland themed logo for the podcast has been unavoidably delayed. My cover designer, Emily, has been working hard on it, but life circumstances beyond her control have got in the way. It's just one of those things. I'm not going to anticipate when it's going to be ready because I feel like every time I do, it seems to be snatched just out of my reach. But the good news is, in the meantime, I stumbled into the very strange world of fonts and found some unexpected inspiration there, which I'm going to share with you today. So Emily sent me a link to a website that sells fonts so I could browse what what I wanted, the sort of thing I wanted for my logo. And I quickly became fascinated by some of the font titles. So many of them are like the weird word combinations you get in Exquisite Corpse. These included surfing ashtray, universal fruitcake, electric boots, fiction crusader, that's us by the way, risky biscuit, I just like that one, the way it sounds, killer garbage, ooh, now there's a horror story waiting to happen, but maybe comedy horror, like some creature hidden in the garbage, waiting to pounce the moment you take the rubbish out. You could write that, yeah, that's not bad. Another font was Massive Headache 3, a very heavy, thick font. I should also mention there's a Massive Headache 1 and 2. Also, interestingly, the way they were listed on the website, Permanent Daylight Regular came right before the Massive Headache font. Could this be the cause of the massive headache? But this is pure speculation. By the way, all the font names I've mentioned so far are by a font artist who calls himself Pizza Dude. Now, quite a few of the fonts had regular or medium in the title because of sizes and types, I suppose. And as I was venturing mostly in the category of eerie, This got rather ticklish. For example, sinister fonts have a font called Raven Scream, regular, and Phantom Fingers, regular. Like, how can Phantom Fingers ever be regular? There was one called Frank Nose, regular. 
there is even a tarantula regular. Like, oh, it's scary. Ah, but it's not that bad. It's regular. I half expected to find irregular, regular, or in the supernatural category, medium, medium. I'm definitely, well, silliness aside, I'm going to put some of these words into the socks of destiny and we'll see if they come up later in the word gameplay. Well, if they don't come up today, they have to come up eventually, right? Don't they? But before that, there was one font, one which I felt was already a story. And that was called Repeat Until False. This is a story. All you have to do is choose what it is that someone wants to be true so badly that they keep saying it. But the more they repeat it, the more it seems false, either to the people around them or to themselves, or maybe both. What could it be that they want so badly? It could be anything, a wedding, a promotion, a birthday party, the idea that the party is going to be a success and then it ends up being a disaster. You could write that disaster. You could write the build-up to that disaster in the face of someone smiling rigidly the whole time. Could it be creepy? Or you might want to explore it as a comedy piece or even horror. What about this? A guy works in a bank. You describe him walking into work. It's a large place with a vaulted ceiling, a slight echoey uh, quality, and maybe a shiny marble floor. I feel like his shoe squeaks. In between greeting the receptionist, nodding to the same colleagues he sees every day, with the same smile fixed on his face, he recites to himself some affirmations he's been working on over the weekend. I don't need this job. I have plenty of money. This place doesn't matter to me. And all this is in between snatches of small talk, people greeting him, him saying hi back. Maybe he accidentally let slip one of these affirmations in between saying hi and the person frowns saying, sorry, what? He just smiles and keeps on going until back in the office, he turns around, he turns his back on them to make his coffee. Then he whispers more feverishly. They won't fire me. They can't. The Marsden account, that wasn't my fault. He gets called into a meeting with the boss and the conversation quickly turns to this Marsden account. What's that about? What's gone wrong there? Now we straight away disbelieve whatever he's saying. We reckon he's an unreliable narrator in his conversations with people even in his conversations with himself, since he keeps repeating things whilst being nervous. They might have even started out as genuine positive thinking affirmations. Some of them might be absolutely true in the beginning, but the fact that he keeps repeating them and that trickle of sweat just at the nape of his neck tells us things aren't as they should be. He wants to repeat them until they're true, but we're starting to get the idea that the more he repeats them, 
the more false they seem or become. Repeat until false. It's a story, it's not just a font. But how would you write it? What situations can you think of where a person might find themselves repeating something almost frantically until it becomes untrue, whether by something they do or because of something they say or just through their desperation to make these things true, they somehow self-sabotage. How could the act of repeating something turn it into something false somehow? What does it even mean? Untrue. It might mean that it becomes actually untrue and it might mean it begins to seem untrue to others or the characters saying it. They no longer believe in what they're saying. How about they're in jail denying they committed a crime they don't remember but in fits and starts their memory comes back and it seems that they did have something to do with the crime after all. But what crime? If any of this gives you a spark, and it only has to be a little spark, have a ponder, maybe go for a walk. But when you start to get an image or a phrase or an idea for a character, try giving yourself 20 minutes to write whatever comes into your head and just see where it leads you. Today, I also want to include a shout out to Mariah, who writes under the name of M.L. White. Now, Mariah is a frequent contributor of words to the Exquisite Corpse game on this show. And she got in touch with me to say, I returned to writing because you inspired me and you keep inspiring me and others. That is just wonderful. That's what this podcast is really for, to inspire your creativity. Mariah said that she wrote a first draft of a story based on an exquisite corpse from the last show about the romantic armchair. If you remember, it was a sort of a murder mystery idea. Mariah approached it as an experiment to see what her subconscious mind might tell her in a writing exercise. Always an excellent approach. Just make a start and see where your intuition takes you. Now, Mariah's not sure at this stage whether she'll be publishing it. I've suggested she lets it rest for a few weeks at least before coming back to it. This always helps me when I've written a story to look at it with fresh eyes. In fact, the longer the story, generally speaking, the longer I give it to rest. And then I can usually see what works, what doesn't work, and what might work really well if I develop those aspects in a new direction. Thank you, Mariah, for sharing. And if you write a story based on an idea on this show, please do get in touch with me at anatizar.com and let me know. I'd love to hear from you. So before we move on to the Exquisite Corpse wordplay and the font-enriched Socks of Destiny... Last time I shared with you a publishing opportunity and I think that's a good idea to help encourage you in case you are even more tempted to have a go at writing a story with the prospect of putting it out there into the world. 
so I'm going to suggest another one. This week I came across a literary magazine called Flash Fiction Online. They're open for submissions from the 1st to the 21st of every month of the year except December. So they're almost always open. They publish across many genres, including literary and speculative. So that's sci-fi, fantasy, horror, that kind of thing. They're open to short stories from just 500 words to a thousand words. So if you do find inspiration from the show, this is one place you could consider submitting to actually publish it. Just go to flashfictiononline.com. But please do bear in mind, I have no personal experience of this publisher. So all I'm doing here is just passing on the information I've come across on the internet. As ever, always check the terms and conditions of anything before you decide to submit. Now, as twilight gathers over the ideas I've shared so far, a new dawn rises on a world of creativity we can only find in the Socks of Destiny. That's right, and as you may already know if you're a regular listener, Exquisite Corpse generates a bizarre sentence from the mixed up words that lovely people such as yourself have sent me through my play page at anatizard.com. And it goes, describing word noun, action, describing word noun. So let's see what is our first describing word today. We have from Paul Thomas. This is imaginary. Okay, something that's not real. Interesting start. Our first noun is from Mariah. Book. Ooh, an imaginary book. I like this. What is our action? Aha. <laughs> okay, this is from me. I've made a note. This is font inspired from Pizza Dude. <laughs> was drawn to the irregularity of. <laughs> I was just so obsessed with that whole regular thing. Okay, so next, a describing word. We have, this is from Paul Benfield. Freezing. Hmm. And the final words, the noun. This is from wikiwords underscore Kate. Mortician. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to pause while I write this down and I'll read out the entire exquisite corpse. Okay, so we have the imaginary book was drawn to the irregularity of the freezing mortician. Irregular indeed. A freezing mortician. 
Oh, she has a body in the freezer. To preserve it, that's what's made her so cold. Is it someone she knows? That would be horribly difficult. What else could be irregular about her or this situation? Someone famous has died. Someone's been murdered. That's technically irregular. But let's look to the beginning of The Exquisite Corpse, a book being drawn to something. Are we going to approach this as pure fantasy, where we see a book being conscious and actually drawn to a person or situation? Even for me, that's it's a little bit, it's a little bit far out, but it's an imaginary book, a book that is yet to be written. Hmm, starting to make some sense. So maybe an imaginary book. So it could be a, a writer or a journalist who wants to investigate something and they are drawn to something irregular about a death or specifically about a mortician who's freezing because she's spent an inordinate length of time with this dead body. What is, is she looking for some kind of sign or evidence of something? Does she suspect a murder when it's been cleared by the police? Ooh. In which case, does she get in touch with the journalist? Hmm. Something the forensics team didn't pick up, some piece of evidence um, that she thinks she can find. She knows this person somehow. And, but then why, why hasn't she gone? Why hasn't she gone to the police? Perhaps they just don't believe her. Ooh, there's lots of possibility here. I, I like this. It's rather dark and morbid, but it's an interesting conundrum where a mortician suspects foul play. She cannot prove it, but, um, yeah, it's interesting. Why would she not get in touch with, say, a private investigator? Or maybe it's that this journalist, she happens to know, I don't know, maybe it's her best friend. Um, I was going to say someone she knows through work. No, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not your average office job here or um, journalist in, you know, in your spare time while you're a mortician. I don't think so. But maybe a journalist she knows becomes a private investigator at least unofficially, for this, to try and help out her friend. And that's how there's an imaginary book, a book yet to be written about this situation. Hmm, interesting. They might have to write it as fiction first to, uh, you know, to disguise or protect people's identities, because otherwise they probably wouldn't be allowed uh, to write it. This is interesting. I like it. I'm going to try for a second exquisite corpse. So our first describing word for the second one is from Fraser Armitage. Unctuous. So I think that means sort of pretending 
to be concerned or, or kind about something. Hmm. Let's see. Our next word is from, uh, it's a Twitter ID, Edge O'Erin1. It's my writer friend in Canada. Neanderthal. <laughs> Considering that the stereotype of a Neanderthal is to be rather stupid. Um, and yet here we're led to believe that they are unctuous. They are deceptive, pretending to be something they're not, pretending to be a nice person. Could it happen? We'll make it happen. Okay, so our action is from Paul Benfield. <laughs> Trudged through the snow to avoid. Mm, okay, it's a sort of satisfyingly physical, basic, we can believe this, of a, of a Neanderthal. Let's try for another describing word. This is from Anonymous. Dented. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Want to avoid something that's dented. This is rather strange. Our final word is from Andy. Let's open this up. Rug. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna pause and write this down. I advise you to do the same. I'll be back in a moment with the full exquisite corpse. Okay, so the unctuous Neanderthal trudged through the snow to avoid the dented rug. Because of course there's nothing so terrible <laughs> when you're living in caves and whatever. Um, than a dented rug. Good grief. Do we have a fussy Neanderthal? <laughs> I definitely think it's time to um, pour some green tea. I don't know about you, but I need some refreshment, a little assistance with this particular one. Okay, so we have someone pretending to be nice and concerned about someone, caring for someone in the tribe, or maybe the whole tribe. What is it with this dented rug? <laughs> A piece has been taken out of it, nibbled by something. The family pet? <laughs> Did they have pets in those days? Wolves, were they beginning to become domesticated dogs? Probably too early for this. I think my history is starting to show its holes. Um, a pet rat or just a rat in the cave. It doesn't belong. This exquisite corpse seems to be bringing up a lot of comedic possibilities. I think it's just this dented rug and the mention of an unctuous Neanderthal. But why? So if he's pretending to be concerned or kind towards someone. So he has another reason to appear to be on his way to somewhere. He's making out that he's off on a hunt or something. 
Um, but in actual fact, he's avoiding the dented rug or whatever it is the dented rug represents in his relationship, in his tribe. Um, he's a naturally fussy person. He was born at the wrong time, I feel. Considering uh, the basic nature of cave life. Um, I can't imagine the food being that great either. Um, so does he, does he pretend to go on a hunt or something else? To make this more interesting, I'm sort of veering towards the something else, um, other than an obvious kind of reason for an expedition like a hunt. Um, a ghost? Did people believe in ghosts back then? I suppose it's possible. We've always been storytellers. Um, a strange creature that's been threatening the tribe. Something that's been creeping around the caves late at night, but no one's caught sight of it. Not, not all of it. Not in sufficient light to be able to work out how, quite how big it is. Is it a bear or something weirder? Something that's taken a bite out of their rug before disappearing. So this Neanderthal is, is going to go out um, to hunt it down or, or just get a closer look, work out the danger. I'm not sure. I mean, this it doesn't have to be about an actual Neanderthal. It can be about, I mean, looking at the words, an unctuous Neanderthal. Um, we're talking about a conflicted or deceptive character. And sometimes these are the best types of characters. This is where you can begin to build a story from who a character is, who they seem to be and who they are in truth inside as a secret that they're trying to hide or something that's going to, they know that this is going to come out in time because of the things that they do. So someone seemingly kind and concerned, someone who wants to get away and maybe pretending to have other reasons to get away, uh, reasons other than what they're saying. So if we step aside from Neanderthal and just say, okay, is this somebody living basically in a non-fussy way, and yet a damaged rug is enough to drive them to distraction. That's a very weird kind of contradiction to have, but I do like working with contradictions with characters. Is, is there an exception to their rule of, of how they usually respond to, to things or think about things? Why was that? Was there some past experience that's led them to be like that? And then, so what about an ordinary modern person going to university? There's another reason to get away. They're going to university or they're moving to a new city to start a new job, but they've lied to their parents about what this job is. Maybe they've even lied to their friends. They've completed a law degree, but they've decided they want to become a screenwriter and they're about to start a job in a restaurant or a call centre so they can dedicate uh, time and energy to their 
as yet secret career. Hmm, this, um, yeah, this exquisite corpse, it's got various um, possibilities sort of almost buried within it. It's just a case of finding something that sparks off an idea and then you just would have to go in a totally different direction, I imagine, uh, unless you really can think of, uh, let's just see, a, uh, an unctuous Neanderthal that trudges through the snow to avoid an actual dented rug. Write in and let me know, for goodness sake, if you do come up with something that is literally like that. I do quite like the sense of a journey in that one, though. Um, but let's just go for one, one last little one, just to tie it off with a third one. Let's see. So this is, ah, this is from me. Understanding. Okay. we got for our second word. This is from Tracy, also known as Magna Carta 1967 on Twitter. <laughs> Piano. <laughs> oh, I love this game. <laughs> right. Let's go for um, an action. This is from... Laurie Alden Haluta plundered. <laughs> oh, if only it had been pianist. But even then, <laughs> I don't know of any pianists that go around plundering. <laughs> Ooh, for tunes, maybe. I don't know. So the final describing word is from Fraser Armitage. Antiquated. Hmm. And the last word of all is from Becky underscore Clough on Twitter. <laughs> Jar of marmalade. <laughs> oh my goodness. So all together, <laughs> once more with feeling, this is the understanding piano plundered the antiquated jar of marmalade. Of course it did. Um, <laughs> oh, this one is completely bonkers. Okay, let's just have a look at the parts. We don't necessarily have to resolve the whole of it as a puzzle, even though I love, I love to try and do that. Um, we can still look at some of the describing word noun combinations to see if we can extract anything story-like from it. So an understanding piano. Um, music is a sympathetic thing, isn't it? It conjures up emotions, it can express our deepest feelings. An antiquated jar of marmalade. Well, I'm not quite sure how long marmalade will keep but it's very high in sugar and it's the sort of food originally it was made to try and keep people going during winter when, you know, there's not going to be a lot of fruit and vegetables around otherwise. Um, plundered. 
I mean, that's usually stealing things through force. Um, that would normally happen in a time of war or unrest, I suppose. Uh, it's not just thievery. How can a piano steal something whilst being understanding and sympathetic? I think I'll have to experiment with this um, as if this were a pianist, okay? A hungry pianist. What situation can we think of? How about a child prodigy? Um, someone playing piano and very little else in a summer school. Okay, so it's driving her up the wall, the fact that there's very little time to do other things. I mean, what if she's just age 10 or something and it's just all day long, she has to keep practicing her instrument and in the room next door, she can hear um, another musician who's practicing her cello non-stop. They're under so much pressure and yet they're so young and there's this urge to be cheeky. Also, the food's a bit rubbish. So it's it's a place where you stay overnight. So it's like a proper little mini boarding school situation. So she wakes up. It's, it's in a large manor house, okay? And there's just a select few very talented musicians um, staying there. They probably had to audition to go to it. Not only did they have to pay fees, but they had to audition. And she wakes up in the night, her stomach gurgling. And she thinks, what would happen if I just tiptoed downstairs in the dark and sneaked into the kitchen and found something to plunder? Like a big jam jar, a big jar of marmalade even. Um, even if it's a little old, a little antiquated. Um, okay, and the understanding part, unless, unless she hears someone else doing that. So she hears someone tiptoeing around and she follows them. Um, and maybe it's someone that she's been in competition with. So there's another pianist staying there. Um, and he seems like a snobby little boy. Um, but of course, you know, of course they're going to glance at each other over their shoulders because they are, they can't help being uh, in competition with each other playing the same instrument. But when she discovers him in the kitchen, um, plundering the cupboards, um, they, they join together, they join forces, uh, even if for an hour, um, making toast, boiling the kettle, making tea, um, and plundering a jar of marmalade. Well, <laughs> it's not that much of a story, but I got close to, uh, to solving the puzzle of this particular exquisite corpse. It was a difficult one. So overall, what do we have today? The first one was the most interesting, I think. The imaginary book was drawn to the irregularity of the freezing mortician. The possibility of a murder unsuspected by the police, but the mortician knows more and engages her friend who is a journalist 
um, and who then becomes a private investigator. They both do um, as they try to pick apart this murder. Then the second one, the unctuous Neanderthal trudged through the snow to avoid the dented rug. I do, I do quite like the idea of someone going in search of a monster who's dented their rug or whatever other heinous crime that might have been committed by a scary creature or uh, a modern day situation of someone pretending to go on a journey that's going to be um, helpful or pleasing to other people. But in actual fact, they've got other secret plans. How might those plans go wrong? That's something to try writing. And then the marmalade plundering. <laughs> I mean, I once ventured into writing for children for a while and I found it very difficult. But the one thing I did learn is that food is really important in children's literature. Kids will always enjoy reading about and imagining fantastic meals. So maybe, just returning to this one, this last one for a moment, there could be a really strict teacher who gives them very plain, basic, horrible tasting foods, piles of cabbage and Brussels sprouts that they struggle to get through in the evenings. Um, and then just to throw in some fantasy elements, these two young pianists, previously sworn enemies, go tiptoeing in the dark into the kitchen and they discover a cupboard that contains every single type of food they've daydreamed about since getting into this horrible, strict summer school. Chocolate, apple pie and ice cream, magically preserved in the cupboard so the apple pie is hot while the ice cream is bizarrely cold. It's all magic and of course there's a jar of marmalade. Well, I hope that's enough story fodder to sink your teeth into. Happy writing, and I'll see you next time. I hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me, or inspire yourself, to write a unique new story. See you next time.